genealogy in the first chapter of his gospel, where he traces Jesus' family tree all the way back to Abraham. That's the the chapter that has all the begats, so-and-so begats, so-and-so begats, so-and-so. And there's lots of interesting folks listed there. Uh, very notably, five women listed in that genealogy, which is a bit unusual because descent, especially in those days, was traced through the fathers, not through the mothers. So it's striking that these women are included. It's even more striking when you see which women are included. No, notorious women, scandalous women. Last week, we looked at the truly Jerry Springer-worthy tale of Tamar and her father-in-law, Judah. And it was surprising, but it was not without purpose. That's the same for all of these women who are listed, who are mentioned in this genealogy. Surprising, but not without purpose. Last week we talked a bit about how the genealogy as a whole helps us get a better picture of who Jesus is, which is helpful and needed, and that the individual women, as they're looked at carefully, they help us get a better understanding of what it is that Jesus has come to save us from, to rescue us from. And so this week we will look at the second woman listed in Matthew's genealogy, and that's Rahab. So we'll be in Joshua 2 again. Now, I'm sure that you all remember vividly January 15th earlier this year when we were in Joshua 2, when we were going through the whole book. Even though you remember it all vividly, we're going to look again, this time with a a slightly different focus, specifically on Rahab, specifically trying to figure out why Matthew thought it was necessary to mention her in the genealogy of the Savior. In some of my reading this week, I uh, read what Martin Luther had to say about the inclusion of these women in this genealogy. And he really boiled it down to the purpose as he saw it was to rebuke presumption and to challenge despair. This is what he said. These women were included so that no one should be presumptuous about his own righteousness or despair on account of his sins. I think both of those will be very evident as we look at Rahab's story this morning. I'd like to ask you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word. We're in Joshua 2, beginning in verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she'd laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. 
and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. May God bless the teaching of his inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Let's go to him in prayer now. Father, some of these scripture readings today could really use uh, some warnings, some labels. You haven't held anything back. You've been so honest about who you are and about who we are and about our need for rescue, our need for a Savior. So, Father, through your Spirit, would you make our need for a Savior abundantly clear this morning? Would you make your provision for that Savior so crystal clear for us to see that any and all that you've been working in their heart preparing to receive the Savior Oh, Lord, would you do it today? Would you do it by your power? Would you do it for your glory? We ask it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. So as we're trying to understand why Rahab is included in the genealogy of our Savior, I want us to look at four things this morning. They're in your worship folder in an outline. They're up on the screen. The first is Rahab's desperation. The second, and probably even more important, is our desperation. Thirdly, I want us to talk about universal destruction because, well, it just wouldn't be Christmas if we didn't talk about universal destruction. And fourth, I want us to look at our sovereign deliverer. So let's dig in. Verse 1.1. The spies. 
they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. So Rahab, y'all, she's desperate on so many levels. Her situation is desperate. She's a Canaanite living in Jericho, soon to be a dead Canaanite once Israel marches into town and the walls, they come a-tumbling down. It's not a great time to be a citizen of Jericho. But the rest of her situation is just as desperate. And so as we take all this in, as we try to get a glimpse of, of her desperation, we also get a glimpse of the Father's heart. We see the types of desperate folk that he's come to rescue when he takes on flesh. So Rahab's living at a not-so-great point in history, but she's also a woman, right? So that's an obvious fact. She's a woman, but it's not necessarily that obvious about why her being a woman only adds to her desperation. She's marginalized because she's a woman. She's greatly disadvantaged. She is vulnerable. She's all too easily subject to being mistreated and abused. And so already this is pointing us not just to who Jesus would come to rescue, because he absolutely does come to rescue the marginalized, the vulnerable, those in distress, those in desperate situations. But in coming, in taking on flesh, he himself was marginalized. He made himself vulnerable. He made himself to be subject to mistreatment and abuse. Y'all, as you consider the claims of Christ this morning, know for certain that no other religion in the world can make a claim like that. No other religion in the world has a God, a Savior, who was vulnerable and who made himself that way for you. She's she's in a desperate situation. She's a woman. She's also a Canaanite, right? So she's not a part of God's people. And that's the source of desperation right there. Because as you read through the Old Testament, you see over and over again how God protects and defends and provides for and has mercy on his own people and how he doesn't do that for the outsiders, She's a woman, she's a Canaanite, but she's also a prostitute. And before we get all high and mighty, and we begin to blame her and think, oh, you wicked woman, just ask yourself, why? Why why was she a prostitute? The the text doesn't give us the specifics about her life story, but why do women usually end up in that profession? It's not because they think it's fun. They've been backed into a corner. They're, They're at the end of their rope. They're helpless. They are hopeless. Perhaps Rahab, I don't think it's too big of a, of a jump. Perhaps she's 
providing for her family, this family that she's so eager to see be saved and rescued from the coming destruction. Perhaps she's providing for her family. She is truly a desperate woman. Her desperation, it's just easy to see. It's all over the page. It just jumps right out at us. But what about our desperation? Often it's not as crystal clear. In fact, there might be a big disconnect in your mind this morning thinking, I've got nothing in common with a prostitute. How, How dare you even suggest that we would have similar desperation. Well, I I would never suggest that. But Scripture would. Scripture, in fact, would suggest that. Rahab gets several mentions in Scripture. Obviously here in Joshua, where the story's told. Obviously in Matthew, because that's where we're getting into all this trouble from. But one of the other places is Hebrews. Hebrews 11. this, This chapter that's known as the Hall of Faith. Right? It's a who's who of the Bible. All the big names are there. Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David. But look who else gets a mention. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she'd given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now surely, she doesn't really fit in here with all those other big names, the great names. Why does she, along with her record, belong here? That just that doesn't seem quite right. But in fact, it is right. It's quite right that she belongs in this chapter because the chapter is rightfully known as the hall of faith. And and the great equalizing factor in that chapter is the necessity of faith. See, all listed there, all these great names were saved not because of their excellent moral fiber, not because of their hard work and discipline. All of those listed there were saved and could only be saved because of their faith. See, here's the thing. Your your desperation, my desperation, it might look different than Rahab's desperation. You might think that you're not as needy as Rahab is of being rescued. But need is need. You either need a Savior or you don't need a Savior. And if you do need a Savior, hypothetical question, if you do need a Savior, you only get one through faith. We, go, we all get in the door the same way. We all arrive at the moment of our conversion the same way as sinners in desperate need of rescue. 
And if we don't come like Rahab through faith, then we will face the consequences. We will face destruction. Point number three. We've received at our house tons of Christmas cards already. Ours will be going out this week. None of them, not a single one, has mentioned universal destruction. I mean, it's all hope and love and joy and peace and no destruction to be found anywhere. And yet, it's directly related to the Christmas story. And of course, it's directly related to Rahab. See, she knew what she was facing. She and all the other Canaanites could see the handwriting on the wall. They connected the dots. They saw how God was faithfully defending and protecting his own, even if it meant wiping out their enemies. Look at verse 9. Part of her confession here. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how you dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt, and and what God did to the two kings of the Amorites. Verse 11, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. Rahab knew they were goners. And that's why she cries out for rescue. Now, her confession of faith here is so important. Please pay close attention to what she does. She realizes her desperation. She owns it. And then this is what she says in the end of verse 11. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. Now that's huge. That's a huge part of her confession. That's a huge thing for a Canaanite to say. A Canaanite, they've got myriad gods that they worship. A a, a little g-god for everything under the sun. And here she is confessing they're not really gods at all. It's, It's your God. It's the God of Israel. He's the one true God. And that is absolutely essential as a part of your confession of faith. That is absolutely essential as a part of your confession of faith. But sadly, that's where a lot of folks stop. Very often, that's the extent of our Christmas time belief in God. We are happy to say that He exists. Thinking that that's enough. But friends, it is one thing to profess the reality of God. It is a very different thing to cry out to that God for refuge and rescue. And that's exactly what Rahab does. That's the second half of her confession. I know that he is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. Now look at verse 10, uh, 12. Excuse me. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord, by this God... That as I've dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. 
And give me a sure sign, verse 13, that you will save alive my father and mother and brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. See, her desperation leads to her radical plea made in faith, rescue me. I need to be delivered from this destruction. And unless you make the same plea, you've got no place in the hall of faith alongside her. The spies were very clear. Whoever is not taking shelter in your house when we come through, they're done. And it's not our fault. They will be destroyed. Verse 18, Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house. Verse 19, If anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. So, everyone not taking refuge in the house with the scarlet cord. That sounds kind of familiar. Kind of reminds me of everyone not taking refuge in the house with the blood smeared above the door. In the Passover account in Exodus. Both of these obviously ought to be reminding us of something far greater anyway. This is the all too infrequently told part of the Christmas story. This is the part that so often that gets left out. The part that says everyone not taking refuge under the blood of this newborn king will meet destruction. Every single one. Every single one not taking refuge under the shed blood of the newborn king who is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world will be destroyed. But, but, for those that do, for those that do take refuge, for those that cry out for rescue, life and joy and hope and love and peace and all the other things from the Christmas cards are yours. They're ours if we will but cry out to him for rescue. If we would say, rescue me. If we would say, deliver me from destruction. Fourthly and finally, our sovereign deliverer. So if you, if you go back and you read Joshua and you just read it all in context, you can read chapter 2 and realize how unnecessary it is doesn't really add anything to the story. It doesn't change anything about Israel's conquest of Jericho and of the promised land. The whole Rahab thing could be left out and the narrative would flow right along and wouldn't miss a beat. So there must be some other reason for its inclusion. There must be some other reason that God wants us to see and know that two spies just so happened to enter Rahab's house. 
out of all the hundreds, perhaps thousands of houses in Jericho, they just happen to enter the one where there's a woman who the Spirit of God has already been at work in her heart, helping her to connect those dots, helping her to see who he is and what he has done, helping her to see her desperation and know that she needs rescue, giving her a willingness to cry out for help. Yeah, it just so happened that those spies lucked up on entering her house. Of course, we know that's no coincidence. It didn't just happen. So let me leave you with these two things about our sovereign deliverer. Number one is is if he is calling you, if he is drawing you to himself, if you're connecting the dots maybe for the first time this morning about your need for rescue and about what Jesus offers in terms of rescue, then know this. If God has marked you out as being his before the beginning of time, he said, you know what? You belong to me. I will rescue you. I will do all these things just like he did for Rahab to make her ready for rescue. If he has done that for you, then you better believe that he will move heaven and earth to come and to get you. He won't let anything stand in his way. You have a sovereign deliverer and he will come for you just like he came for Rahab. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. If you've already been rescued, he's already come to you. Then my question for you is this. Whose path will it just so happen that you cross this week? Whose path in whom the Spirit of God has already been at work probably for quite some time exposing need, connecting dots, revealing to this person who he is and the reality of Christ's offer of rescue. Who will it just so happen that you're going to cross their path this week? And will you be ready? Let's pray. Oh, Father, to have a rescuer and a deliverer like you, one who is willing to make yourself vulnerable, to make yourself subject to mistreatment and abuse, the one who in fact will move heaven and earth to come and to get all that you've claimed as your own. The one who's even given us the privilege of being a part of the process of you coming to get others and to experience that joy. Oh God, would you come even now, even in these moments, and do the work in our hearts that you need to do. Help us to wait and watch for Jesus. We pray in his name and for his sake. Amen. Would you please stand?